The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is holy, holy, holy. The word holy means to be set apart, and God is utterly set apart. As the famous 20th century theologian Karl Barth said, God is holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y. In Psalm 113, David asked the rhetorical question, Who is like the Lord our God, who sits enthroned on high? The answer, of course, is no one. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is omnibenevolent. He's all-loving. And when we speak of God's holiness, it's not limited to his radiant purity in moral terms, to his distance from sin, to his righteousness. That, of course, is included, and that's even central. But that God is holy, that God is set apart, that God is other, applies to his whole being. So when we talk about the holiness of God, and the love of God. Well, God is love, John tells us. And the way in which he loves us is set apart. Thus we can speak of the holy love of God or the loving holiness of God. God is holy. God is majestic. God is is awesome, not in the 1980s uh, surfer sense. God is holy, and when we come into his presence, or rather when he makes his presence known to us, we become keenly aware of our finiteness, of our sinfulness, of our unholiness. How does Isaiah respond to his vision of God, to the vision of God in his heavenly throne room. He says, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Luke 5, what does Peter say in the presence of divine holiness and power? He says, Go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. In the presence of God who is infinite, we recognize how small we are. We say with the psalmist, What is man that you are mindful of him? When the one in whom there is no darkness at all shines on us, our own darkness becomes readily apparent. We realize that we are not worthy to be in his presence. Yet, when we come into his presence in a spirit of awe and humility and repentance and surrender, he forgives us and he changes us and he transforms us into his likeness so that we can be in his presence. He redeems us and he unites us to himself. He takes the coal. And he cleanses our lips. And he says to us, as he said to Isaiah, your guilt has departed 
and your sin is blotted out. The coal which touches Isaiah's lips in the vision, it was taken from the altar, connecting this overtly to the sacrificial system under the Old Covenant and symbolically, typologically, pointing forward to the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. It is by the precious blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiven, that we are made new, that we become, paradoxically, like the one no one can be likened unto. The fiery coal, fire purifies, fire refines, fire changes, fire transforms. Think of how fire is used with precious metals to do all these things, to burn away impurities. So it seems that, it seems to me that the fiery coal in Isaiah 6 is connected with the regenerative and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says of Jesus that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And yes, the fire is an image of judgment in John 3, but what is judgment? Judgment is to put things right. So what the Spirit does for those who believe is the Spirit burns away the chaff in the church and in her members. It is the Spirit that takes the work of Christ and applies it to our account, who makes us alive in Him. It is the Spirit that transforms us more and more into the likeness of Christ. It is the Spirit that empowers us to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit descended on the 120 in the upper room as what? Tongues of fire. We encounter God in His holiness. We recognize our sinfulness. And in His grace and mercy, He redeems and He transforms us. And then having transformed us, having saved us, having redeemed us, having united us unto Himself, He sends us out to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. He sends us out on mission. So holiness, God's holiness, man's sinfulness, redemption, and then evangelism. That's the progression in today's lessons in Isaiah 6 as well as Luke chapter 5. That's the shape of conversion. That we recognize God's holiness. We see his truth and beauty and goodness in the gospel. And recognizing who he is, we recognize who we are and that we are in need of a savior. And then God saves us by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and unites us to himself and then sends us out on mission. That we are new creations going out into the world to see God's kingdom come on earth as in heaven. It's also the shape of the liturgy. These are, especially Isaiah chapter, chapter 6, uh, liturgical texts. We live Isaiah chapter 6 and Luke chapter 5 every single Sunday. We come into the presence of the thrice holy God. 
We join the angelic host in their eternal song. We, like the people on the shore of the lake at Gennesaret, we hear the word of God. And in light of coming into God's presence, of hearing his word, we recognize our own smallness. We recognize our finiteness. We recognize our sinfulness. What, what do we do at the very beginning? We come in singing praises. What's the, one of the first things that's said? The colic for purity. Cleanse, our, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. The very beginning, we're asking God to take the coal and cleanse our lips by the fire of his Holy Spirit. We say the Kyrie, Lord, have mercy upon us. We say, of, of course, the, we confess our sins. We are challenged, and then we are challenged. We recognize who God is. We recognize who we are on our own without Christ. And then throughout the service, we're challenged in word and sac sacrament. We're fed in word and sacrament. We're, we're changed. We're united with Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And then having been fed with the scriptures, fed with the sacrament, we are sent out into the world equipped for mission. The dismissal at the end of the liturgy is not just saying in Elizabeth, Elizabethan English as Anglicans, hey, the service is over now, you can go home. No, it's ascending out. It's a commissioning for mission that we would go out into the world as Eucharistic and Spirit-filled people to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive the final blessing, we are to receive it in the spirit of Isaiah saying, Here I am, Lord. Send me. We go out as fishers of men and are bait is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want our, our proverbial nets to be full, we better be preaching the gospel because there's no power in anything else. There's no power to change lives apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess or we don't have to even debate about it because Paul, in today's lessons, 1 Corinthians 15, tells us exactly what the gospel is. He quotes in chapter 15 what is likely a very early Christian creed dating back to A.D. 30. Think about that. That's the year that Jesus was resurrected. And we already have... Here in Paul, writing to Corinth, a letter that is very early itself, quoting this early Christian creed. The gospel, and what does the gospel mean? I always ask my kids this. Good news. I'm talking about the etymology. What does the gospel mean? It means good news. And the good news is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that is good news. Why? Because sin and death don't have the final word. It's good news because we can be forgiven of our sins. It's good news because in Christ, we can become the people that God created us to be. 
We in Christ can reach the end for which we were created, which is union with God. We must, as a church, as a mission in the Diocese of Central Florida, be determined to preach the crucified and risen Jesus. And if God's going to use us to transform this community, then we ourselves have to be transformed. It's difficult to impart something that we don't possess. But if we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit who lives within us so that we become like Jesus, and if we go out into the world and preach the gospel, God is going to do something in us and through us beyond what we can ask or think or imagine. Now, two comments in closing. One, I'm not saying that we, ha- that we have to, nor is the Lord, that we have to become perfect people in order for God to use us. If that's the case, then <laughs> I don't know. Go find a new priest that's perfect, because this is not me. You're gonna be tough to find, it's going to be tough to find a perfect person. It's going to be tough to be a perfect person. God is looking for people not who are perfect, but for people who are surrendered. People who are open, people open to the work of God in their lives. People who, in all of their brokenness, and all of their confusion, and all of their sinfulness, say, God, change me. Transform me. Make me like your son, Jesus Christ. God, change me. God, use me. Finally, when I talk about preaching the gospel, depending on your church background, that might make you nervous that I'm telling you to go out on the corner of the street after church and get a megaphone and get kind of a a really freaky sign with some quotation from the book of Revelation, you know, the end is near sort of thing, and scream at the top of your lungs, you people need Jesus! Please don't do that. We do when we have the opportunity, when we're looking for divine appointments, opportunities to share Christ with people. Evangelism is not, I'm going to get gas at 7-Eleven, I'm going to take that track in there, gospel track in there, and by God, that gas station attendant is going to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. No, we preach the gospel in word and deed. We just, we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. If you live in, if you live in the light of the gospel, now Jesus is Lord, and if you actually live as if Jesus is Lord, which again, he is, if you follow Jesus, if you allow him to transform your life and grow in his knowledge and his grace, you will make an incredible impact on those people around you. 
Now, I was going to embarrass Mrs. Amy McClintock this morning. If you guys don't know, Amy has been my wife's best friend for, what, two decades. Um, And I have have seen this uh, in her life. Does she hand out tracts to everyone she meets? No. Does she condemn people and judge them and scream at them? No. What she does is she lives her life in righteousness and holiness before the Lord and people around her in her orbit, her friends, people at her work, they see her integrity, they see the peace that she has, and and they're curious about it. They want in on it. I can't tell you, right, Casey, the amount of people the last 20 years that, that have come into the orbit of the church that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ just because she goes out into the world and it's not that she's wearing Christian t-shirts or she's putting obnoxious bumper stickers on her car or that she's being holier than now. She's loving Jesus and following Jesus and she's preaching the gospel through her life. That's what I'm talking about, of just following Jesus and then being open to, God, who is in my orbit that I could invite to church or invite to come have food trucks or that I could speak a word of truth into his or her life or a word of encouragement into his or her life. That's what it looks like. We have to stop thinking about, okay, I have my Christian life, which I live on Sunday, and then I have the rest of my life. It's one life, and it's all to come into alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ gets everything, not that, so that what we consider secular, what we consider mundane about our lives, becomes sacred. All of it becomes fellowship with him. All of it becomes, everything we do becomes an act of worship to Almighty God. There is no sharper evangelistic edge than a life of one who walks before Almighty God in holiness and righteousness. And if you pair that, brothers and sisters, with an openness to opportunities to, again, speak into people's lives, to invite them to church, to to tell them about Jesus, God will use you in a mighty way. So, brothers and sisters, may the triune God, who is holy, 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 may he reveal himself to us so that we can become like him. And may he have, and we know that he will in Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and save us. And may he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transform us into the likeness of Christ. And may he equip us and empower us to reach people with the gospel, to make disciples of Jesus, to whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all honor, glory, and praise. Amen.